Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and I enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across Australia and around the world here's Inside Supercars hello and welcome to the show we return to our round tables this week and joining me to discuss a whole bunch of topics from Speed Cafe it's Stefan Bartholomeus good evening Stefan evening Craig thanks for having me and I should say 2014 V8 Media Association Journalist of the Year too. It would be unfair not to give you that title. Tony Whitlock is from Race Facts and he joins us as well. Good evening, Tony. Good evening. I didn't bring the sea with me, but I'm feeling like the old man in the sea. <laughs> and uh, one of Hemingway's shorter books, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, great book though. I just uh, just recently um, read that it actually inspired someone to write, write a book, which is a, a renowned book now. I can't remember who it was, but, you know, mm. uh, certainly wonderful to, uh, to know about. Yeah. Last year we saw a lot of stuff going on around the MND, the motor neuron disease or Lou Garrett's disease and a lot of ice bucket challenges. But uh, this year it seems like it was certainly the focus was on Neil Danaher at the MCG, Tony. And uh, it's interesting because you're talking about books, Tuesdays with Mori. Um, was a very, very famous book by Mitchell Bloom and uh, talking about motor neuron disease and the effects that has on uh, on the uh, unfortunate people who suffer it and, of course, uh, perhaps better known as Lou Garrett's disease in other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And um, it's uh, it certainly is great that uh, so much is uh, being written about these things, which have been around for a long time. But you know that they, they don't have a lot of coverage, and therefore they don't cover, get much uh, profiles to go and raise dollars. So certainly fantastic that um, these things happen. Like the same um, uh, recently, there's been the one about um, the young girl uh, Maddie Revolt. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a nerve um, problem and died recently. Yeah. yeah. It is uh, uh, amazing how much. And Stefan, you being in a very new media situation. You've had a, a number of uh, opportunities over the last few years where Speed Cafe has championed different uh, events for the V8 Supercar Paddock where they've needed to raise money for people who have uh, been suffering some some debilitating disease. And, of course, uh, we all remember the work that was done around Jason Richards' uh, passing. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the things online where uh, there's so much uh, sharing of, of content these days. It's so easy to pass on things that, that mean something to you, to your friends, whether it's uh, interesting news that you see or, or a cause that uh, you see is worthy of, of support um, from more than just yourself. So uh, online certainly works in that sense, but also the traditional mediums, especially television with uh, Neil Danaher, stuff that uh, was pretty powerful a couple of weeks back, uh, Certainly, yeah, it's a mix of everything. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think when you're talking about online too, crowdfunding and crowdsourcing, we've seen a number of drivers try to go that way, but certainly in the charitable sphere, that's where it's made its mark and have seen some remarkable uh, remarkable sums of money being put forward to uh, different charities. Yes, indeed. We need to talk about Darwin, of course as it is the next race up on the agenda after another, what was it, four weeks, five weeks break from racing. The focus will be on tyres and perhaps a new surface as well, Stefan. Yeah, certainly a couple of variables that uh, we'll see uh, what effect they have. Um, Everyone's had a lot of time to talk about it and think about it, but uh, they're just going to want to get on track on Friday and really explore that explore that surface um, everyone talks about Hidden Valley being a bit unique in uh, in setups partly because of how um, warm the track conditions normally are um, it's not exactly uh, just a direct carryover from what worked at Winton is going to work uh, up there so um, the fact that um, yeah it's a new surface 
means that it's a, an even bigger challenge for everybody this year. And obviously with, with the tyre change, it's soft tyres for the second race on Saturday, which uh, is the great white hope to uh, have a bit more interesting racing in the sprints. But we'll see how much deg there is when it's only a 60-kilometre race. Yeah, Tony, do you subscribe to soft tyres? Are going to change the world when it comes to the short races? Um, well, you know, you get, I think there is a, a fair discrepancy between those who are very good and those who are very bad at being able to make a tyre live. So therefore, there's a greater chance because of that degradation that somebody who actually can look after and can come late or go early, one of the two, that you've got a chance that there will be, you know, that discrepancy needed. Um, I mean, more than anything... I mean, the, the lap record there has stood since 99. It must be the longest-standing uh, track uh, lap record that we have of any uh, track we go to. Um, they got close last year in practice, and that was the only time they did, probably because of um, running uh, a soft tyre on the Friday. I think it was Van Giz was quickest with a 9.3 compared to the 9.0, uh, which is the, the, the lap record, mm. a variety lap record. Yeah, when he was with Stone Brothers. Yeah, it does go back a ways, but new surface is also going to play into the factor of lap times dropping, you would hope, yeah, Tony. Yeah, and, and look, you'd have to think that given that they were close last year, but, you know, in practice, that you'd have to think that, that there'll be, you know, the greatest chance that they will actually uh, uh, knock that record off because I think the cars have improved quite dramatically in the last year. You know, that second year of the uh, car of the future and all those sort of things. Mm. Uh, Stefan, uh, what's your mail on how much quicker this track will be with the new surface? Oh, it's, it's hard to say in exact terms. Like, yeah, I'd agree with, with Tony that it's um, that people are expecting the, the records to go. Um, but, you know, if, if the track's half a second quicker, then it's pretty much going to be half a second quicker for everyone. It's about maximising the car to the track like it is at every at every place. So it's the bigger unknown, I guess, is going to be how it does affect affect the tyre life because you're going to you're certainly going to add grip. There's no question about that. But mm. um, I, yeah, I think it's that thing though that you know on a single lap, yes, we have probably 25 drivers who are all capable of being within a tenth, two tenths, three tenths, or whatever of you know fastest to slowest. But it's that ability to actually keep a car straight for 10, 15 laps. What are the races in length? Well, I don't even know what they are. How, mm-hmm. how long are they? 60 k's, what was a yeah. 3k track, so the 20 laps? Or thereabouts, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's that ability to actually keep a car straight and not wear the tyre out that is going to be the thing that's, that makes the good ones stand out. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it's a surprising... Uh, familiarity about the names that bob up in the front end because, yes, those are the guys who can actually make a car live, not by relying on just having the stickiest tyre. It's it's going to be very, uh, very interesting to see if this is going to significantly change the setups on the car too because if there is going to be some uh, teams that are normally quick that come out of the box and can't make the adjustments they need for what they're going to find is, uh, you would hope, a smoother, grippier surface. That could just turn everything up and down, and we we could see some surprising results. That said, of course, it's the teams up the front that are the best at normally reacting to the changes and have the the personnel in place that can make the uh, right decisions, Tony. Yeah, indeed. And, and you know, I mean, the smart ones are with the, with the big teams because they've got the money to go and buy the smart ones. And unfortunately, you know, there, there is that situation where, of course, a young engineer, uh, you know, whether it be at an Erebus or, a, you know, one of the other lesser teams that doesn't have all the money, can actually come in and not fluke it, but actually work out the right setup. And bingo, suddenly you see a car that hasn't been in the top five, suddenly he's up there because some good thinking. And that's one of the advantages our category still has, that, you know, good thinking can actually get a car up there, not just the the skill behind the steering wheel. Mm. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot before our first ad break to ask you who's going to win, Stefan Bartholomew. Well, I guess the default answer to that is uh, Chas Mosler just going on on recent pace. 
they, uh, he and Adam DeBoer have certainly got that, that thing worked out in qualifying. Um, so that'd be uh, he, he should be the favourite. All right, Tony Whitlock. I, I'd go with Mark Winterbottom. I think he's uh, had uh, enough thinks about things that he's uh, he's got it worked out in his mind as to how to do it now. I'm going with Jamie Winkup, and perhaps that is just all too predictable, but I'm willing to wear that. And I think Shane Van Gisbergen is going to be very tough to beat. We'll talk about Shane Van Gisbergen, Jamie Winkup, and Craig Lowndes on the other side of this break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Tony Whitlock and Stefan Bartholomeus join me, Craig Gravel. And Triple Eight, they have now secured the 26th wreck. What now for Super Black Racing? That is an interesting position that they're in because they obviously were hoping to get a 26th licence, hoping to get their hands on the 26th licence, Stefan. But they are in a rock and a hard place. Red Bull Racing or Triple Eight Racing got that. And Dick Johnson Racing Team Penske have said, we plan to have two cars next year. That uh, leaves one That leaves one person or one team looking for uh, a chair when all the chairs are filled. We're certainly expecting Penske to run two cars next year, but I don't think they've actually made the... The decision on that. They seem to uh, to work on their own timelines there in the USA, and uh, I don't think it's 100% done, but it's certainly what we're expecting. So yeah, I mean, on on the face of it, um, Superbike are in a precarious position, but I think it's it's easy to to just assume that oh, all 26 licenses are accounted for now. Um, they're in trouble when the actual reality is that uh, there are a lot of current entries without confirmed sponsors most importantly but you know drivers or whatever else attached to them for next year so i don't think they're in a in a world of trouble in terms of the market because there are so many possibilities for change especially in some of those four car teams where you look at the money coming in at the moment and you wonder how they're going to keep uh, keep running running four cars and to be honest that includes pro drive because they uh, have got uh, some pretty big question marks on the 55 car um, so who knows uh, which entry the Super Black Car will run, but I don't think uh, they'll be panicking just yet. Tony, are you? I, as... I thought there were some interesting comments. I believe I can't remember where I read it, but I thought I read somewhere where Warburton talked about when the 26 wreck was confirmed at being at Triple Eight that um, 26 is a good number or something like that. You know, I, I just seem to remember that being said which seemed to me something that was fairly damning for anyone else who was wanting to uh, go next year that hasn't got a, a licence in place. Um, so um, if that's the case, then then obviously if they've said 26, I can't... I mean, remembering, of course, the old adage that, you know, we don't want more cars here because all that does is split the money further. And the critical thing is they've done their modelling. Uh, I was led to believe they did their modelling on the... TV deal, and then, of course, there has been a, uh, I, I dare not call it a rescue package for fear of a phone call from uh, from uh, Narang. Yeah. It's not Tur- Narang anymore, is it? Yeah, no, it should be. It's yeah. a local call almost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I dare not call it a rescue package that uh, saw some additional funds going into the teams um, to help fund them. And, uh, yeah, Stefan's certainly thrown a uh, wild card into the equation saying that uh, four-car teams might be in jeopardy. That, uh... Well, yeah, so just to be clear, I'm not saying there's going to be more than 26 cars. Mm. I'm saying there's no guarantee there will be 26 cars. <laughs> there could be less. 
Yes. Um, so, yeah. uh, and what you're hinting towards there is uh, that uh, there might be another James Rosenberg situation where uh, licenses get handed back and, uh, of course, they don't get sold again by V8 supercars. Yeah, and um, certainly there's, you know, we talk about cars that are unsponsored for next year and uh, the sponsorship market at the moment, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it's also you don't exactly know what you're selling because the TV, the consequences of the TV deal for sponsors hasn't been properly borne out yet. So it's all very delicately positioned, I think. Mm. And if we continue to push overseas racing, then we will have that finite, we need to get them all into containers. We want to do it in one jumbo and one uh, sea freight because they don't, really want to have to fly everything overseas the model for two jumbos is is quite high if they can get to a jumbo and sea freight they're in a much better position yeah i think um that's certainly the basis that they will be doing their deals or recent deals on uh, on one plane that's for sure going by what was uh, certainly discussed at length last year mm. kl's going to hold a race tony you were there for the first china that Big jump and big leap of Tony Cochran's when they uh, made their well, their yeah, move overseas, and it, it they you know in hindsight they said we weren't ready for it, but it showed we could do it. We're we're years on, and we haven't been able to, but for a trip to New Zealand, we haven't been able to establish international a racing. Beachhead. A beachhead, mm. yes. Yeah. Um, look, I'm certain that KL will be far more receptive than China, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, and probably even the U.S. We realised, of course, that the U.S. did have a crowd. I mean, I can remember seeing people in grandstands and talking to them and things like that. So there were definitely people there who'd bought tickets to come and watch it. Um, but you'd expect that, given that uh, it was a new track still and that it hadn't had that many major events at it. Um, in this case, you know, it's a street circuit, so the crowd will be happy to walk up and see it. And I would think that there'll be a substantial number of people who do go to watch it. Um, how that remains, how that builds over a number of years will be certainly interesting to see. Um, I think, you know, in KL, there is a lot more relationship, albeit some of it's probably a bit tested at the moment by various government departments in this, uh, in this particular sector. Um, but I would think there's a much better relationship between... Uh, there in Australia than uh, the other places we've been. Stefan, your read on um, KL and then, of course, the other race, which what is confirmed not to be Thailand or something? I really haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think with the, with the KL situation, um, obviously there's a few boxes to tick, um, including the first event needs to go well um, for the deal to even be locked in with V8 supercars for the subsequent events. Um, but, I mean, when, when you look at it, it's it's actually got the potential, really, to, to be one of V8 supercars' marquee races. Like, you couldn't really say that about previous overseas events, I don't believe. But having it on a street circuit where um, you don't have to convince locals to drive an hour out of the countryside to see all these cars and drivers that they've never heard of. It's just right there as part of what will hopefully be a successful GT event mm. for, the, uh, for the local area. I think it could be quite good. The other thing it's is... I'd like to think that also the um, management of the track will design it so that the public who actually pay a walk-up tickets can actually see enough of the event to make it worth their while to go to. Well, I'm be- led to believe it's free entry, Tony. Uh, if you want a grandstand ticket or anything like that, you have to pay. But I think you can just walk in if you're a resident of, of Kuala Lumpur and and have a look and see what's going on. Well, as they say on TV, the price is right then. Uh, have you heard that as well, Stefan? Uh, to be honest, I haven't. But um, I the last I saw, they hadn't sort of released ticketing details um, on that front, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that uh, it's actually not too far away. August seven to nine being the first event, obviously mm-hmm. the supercars aren't racing there; they're just doing a five car demo. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll, it's good that V8s have the opportunity to really come goes because I'm sure there will be some hiccups uh, putting together a, a new street event so quickly. 
but uh, yeah, hopefully it's, it's a success. The cynic in me, Tony, says no matter what V8 supercars do, there will be a protest on Facebook and if the thing doesn't make it to the second year, it will be V8 supercars' fault even if all they did was take one car from each manufacturer to say we're going to be back next year. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I suppose I've heard for so many times, you know, it's a three-year contract or a four-year contract or whatever hell it has been signed that they've all been busted. So, mm. you know, um, we're just... Wait and see. Just it, wait and see. I think it's all you can do. Yeah. Outside of the mainstream media, outside of the V8 supercar media, and in V8 supercar media I include New Limited because, let's face it, they've got a pretty big stake in the game, there wasn't much coverage in the mainstream. ABC, SBS, Nine. Um, I must say, I can't even recall what I saw on Channel 10 now that uh, really put it on the map, but... This is a is a huge problem for V8 supercars. They're not cutting through mainstream media the way that you would hope. And if you want to call, if you want to compete, you have to be able to get onto the other networks that you're not broadcast on as part of their news service. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure if the way it came out was um, massively friendly to the the local TV networks. I'm not actually across what exactly was sent out by V8 supercars and all the rest of it, but it was an announcement that took place in KL with James Warburton there and a written announcement was sent mm. out by V8 Supercars which took a lot of people, including us, by surprise. Um, but, you know, it was... You know, I contacted the the event organisers and V8 Supercars that afternoon and, you know, to get sort of the next part of the story just sort of took a little while and I'm not sure... TV networks obviously need, need good vision to... Um, to be able to, to be able to run things, and the first vision I saw was two days later, and it was uh, handicam spec uh, official vision of the press conference. So I'm not quite sure how that all rolled out, and how much of the lack of coverage was a reflection on where the sports at in terms of media, and just that particular instance of how friendly it was for them. Because, as you know, you get more coverage if you if you sort of feed people things. Um, yep. Just the way it is. I think I wrote a story uh, earlier this year. Um, media release via News Limited. It's been a little bit of that going on lately. Strategy A, B and C. Mm. We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars. Be back with plenty more after this. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where we've certainly covered a lot of ground since our last race. But uh, look, Craig Lowndes, he's going to be in a Red Bull Racing Australia slash Triple Eight Racing car to finish his career. But is he going to become a third wheel? Is it going to be all about the gears, about the uh, six-time, perhaps seven-time, eight-time champion by the time Craig goes to retire in Jamie Wincup? And is he going to be farmed off on this special projects car and, and not really as much of the team that he helped to certainly transform? Tony? Um. Well, I certainly think it'll be the third car because I think Jamie and uh, Shane will be set up as uh, chief combatants. Um, you know, Craig certainly demonstrates that uh, you know he's not uh, being given a wheelchair, and he, he certainly punches well and truly at the weight he should in terms of his qualifying and race rates and you know all those years. I mean, he was only outshone by one guy really over the last you know five, six, seven, eight years. 
um, and it was a guy who set a new benchmark in the category. So it wasn't as though he was being, you know, smacked around the ears by half a dozen guys, the new young kids or anything like that. One bloke who actually set a whole new benchmark and who, if the cards had fallen totally his way, he would already have eight championships now given that uh, the penalty for the uh, under-tray and given the uh, disqualification for um, parts in Tasmania in, in uh, 07 or whatever it was. And wasn't so, that the year he uh, was written off out of the Pukekohe or was it uh, Hamilton race? Hamilton, yeah. And so he know, didn't, I mean, he so didn't even race that weekend. Yeah. A number of times when he's had severe penalties, whether you know, self-induced or, or given, uh, given out by officials... Uh, severe penalties that he could have well and truly had the eight championships by now. So that, uh, you know, Craig has only been, you know, topped by him. So, you know, Craig is, is a, a benchmark still and, OK, it's 20 years ago or 21 years ago that uh, he made his debut and, um, you know, for a large part of that time he's been in the top three or four. So um, he has certainly valid reason for still remaining there and, punching out the way he currently does. Mm. The Giz is going to be an interesting one, and that last win at Silverstone. Now, I know, Tony, you were at Spa. We spoke about that last time you are on the show. Uh, Monza. Monza. Sorry, at Monza, sorry. Yep, um, at Monza, we spoke about that last time you were on the show. But he's now won at Silverstone. He's talked about cutting back on overseas racing, and this, to me, just uh, is... Amazing. Yeah, look, um, I think you'd find if you go back and listen to uh, Roland Dane's comments about uh, Shane racing, you'll find so long as it doesn't clash. Well, I think Shane may already been given the heads up on uh, how much things will clash next year and that he will not be able to do the amount that he, A, wanted to do and B, has done in the last couple of years. Part of his uh, great success in recent times, and including setting a, a new benchmark as a, as a one-car team, part of that has been his speed in cars, and that's because he's been jumping into every bloody thing that's going past his door. Um, and that, uh, you know, he has totally come out of his shell in his driving sense and to a degree also in his personality. And I think that I think there'll be more bun fights ahead uh, next year for him uh, against Roland than probably either of them hoped or expected, but I think that'll happen, partially because Shane continue, will continue to grow through the balance of this year. He's in a, a great place now because he has a, uh, a team manager in Steve Hallam who has enormous understanding of what what fast drivers are like, what they need, what they need. And I'm not saying that Roland doesn't, but Roland runs an operation that requires far more driver commitment away from the track, and that's the thing that Shane has been able to get away with not having to do. I, I know, Stefan, you, you've talked about the the fact uh, on Speed Cafe that um, Tony Quinn's, uh, Daryl Lee's sponsorship at, uh, at uh, Techno is, uh, can I say, in jeopardy? Would that be putting it in the right terms? But... Uh, is certainly there it will be a lot more media and there will be a lot more requirements on the gears when he gets into the triple eight machine yeah absolutely i think tony was pretty spot on with what he was saying about um shane and and doing other racing and everything else because um it's it's sort of different for him to go to new zealand for for two days and do a bit of drifting and come back but when he's doing this gt stuff it's genuinely a week eight days of your life that that gets sucked up by it and um yeah it's going to be a bit of a tougher road when he's at uh, when he's at red bull yes. and you know i think red bull themselves were really a driving force behind signing him and you know triple eight um expanding to a third car so uh, yeah i think they're going to want to make the most of it and that's yeah. the thing isn't it tony is it's the fact that at the moment he doesn't have to do 30 scheduled promotional appearances across the country in between race meetings. And, uh, of course, that's three days when you have to fly out, do your appearances, do whatever well, other uh, promotional I mean, stuff. We all know that, that people like the, the Greg Murphys of the world and Garth Tanders would have to go and stand in a red rooster in Darwin or a, 
a Kmart in Werribee um, as part of their contract. And it's not that, you know, Shane is, you know, highly um, demanding sort of a person. It's the very fact that, you see, I think to a degree he was in an environment at Stone Brothers where he didn't have to do that. And he'd be constantly told, no, no, don't worry about Shane, you don't have to do that, whereas the other drivers would. And so that impartial that, you know, Shane has been indulged to a degree, but, I mean, it meant that he could, A, concentrate on being a young New Zealand guy living on the Gold Coast, and B, then when he got the opportunity, he could just drive. And, I mean, it's almost like you need to remind Roland, saying, Roland, if you're going to deny this kid that's driving, you're going to, in, in fact, hinder the very thing you've got him for, and that is his ability to just jump in a car and go quick. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting problem we'll watch play out over the next couple of years. But I guess getting back to my first point, Stefan, he's really making a mark in Europe. His stocks are going to go through the roof. He's just signed a deal in Australia. But I imagine some of these international offers he will get by the end of the Blank Pain series will be substantial enough to wonder if the Triple Eight money is justifiable. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a to start with, there's a very large element of the fact that he's he's sort of been building towards being a V8 Supercars champion for for six or seven years now, and um, you know it would be a shame to actually bail on that at this point completely to do you know to race. I, I think the time. other thing, Craig, is that that most of these young New Zealand drivers, and we know that there's a bunch of them there who at last weekend performed admirably, you know, just at the top of the tree. A bunch of these guys have never had Formula One in their sights. Craig never had, um, Craig, Shane never had um, going off their V8s were what he had in his target. That most of these, that was their aspiration. That's where they saw. Um, and there's this vast difference between Australia and New Zealand motor racing. In New Zealand, I think a go-kart kid doesn't get his autograph down pat until he's at least 16, 17. In Australia, they've done it by age of 12. <laughs> Because they, we, they don't have the same hero worship thing. Mm. There's only you know, very few who are professional racing drivers in this country, whereas there is you know, 15, 20, 30, whatever, here. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. But, Stefan, to your point? Yeah, I guess I think we should just also um, just emphasise a little bit as well that um, V8 Supercars is a very professional championship where you can earn good money as a driver, and it's a, it's a yeah. big challenge for these drivers. And while... It's a good thing he's got there with McLaren, factory driver. That sounds very awesome. It's it's like a four-race deal. It's a five-race series, but he's missing Paul Ricard this weekend because Darwin's on. And the whole Blancpain series is, is pro-am. Obviously, they have all pro lineups out the front. But like um, as, as Tony would be able to say better than me because he went to Monza at the start of this year, but you go there and, and there's no punters in any of the grandstands. It's not a, it's not a big championship for... Uh, yeah for attention that way and, and a lot of the teams are nowhere near the level of professionalism of V8 supercars so um, we certainly shouldn't talk down what we've got just thinking that doing anything in Europe would be better than doing this because it's certainly not the case. Yeah, certainly not and that's uh, one of the things you, you go overseas and then you appreciate just how good V8 supercars is in by world standard at um, national level and international level. Uh Okay, you've already touched on it, Tony. We're going to take a break, but we're going to come back and talk about the Porsche wildcard winning Le Mans and what that could mean for Vert Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. And uh, Tony Whitlock, Stefan Bartholomew, of course, the 2014 V8 Media Association Journalist of the Year. Uh, Stefan, 
I said before the break, it was a wild card Porsche that won Le Mans this year, the number 19. It was an extra entry for that event. Can we see wild cards winning Bathurst? Can you f- envisage that? Well, I mean, you can't count anything out because we saw it was only two years ago that that Xbox wild card run by Triple Eight, which was obviously the benchmark team with some very handy drivers in it, um, did nearly win the race. Um, they were really threatening there with a stint and a half to go, and uh, Andy Prio ended up locking a tyre that uh, that hurt him, even though they sort of said afterwards that, uh, that they couldn't make it on fuel. But anyway, the details of that aren't important. It's it's hard to actually see teams doing wild cards is the first thing at the moment. Um, DJ, I've talked about it, but it's quite an expensive thing to do, and to put a quality one in there um, is is even harder. So um, I don't think it's something we need to worry about too much. But um, certainly we saw last year at Bathurst that uh, car that had had a shunt and did eight pit stops won the race. So, yeah, having something like the uh, Le Mans situation happen is uh, can't be ruled out. Mm. Tony, your thoughts? Um, look, I think the vast difference between the two is while we have some teams that are supported by factories, a la Triple Eight and, uh, and the Kelly Brothers and you know, various ones. We don't have factory teams there. Porsche had a third car, as Audi did. They only run two in the endurance championship, um, and so they have a third car, and they put a bunch of young guns who all didn't bat above their, uh, their skill or their, their weight, but all batted so well that took the race out of their senior partner's uh, uh, grasp and that more than likely those guys had all had some testing, which, of course, because of our rules and regulations to maintain costs, we can't have. Porsche don't have to worry about that. Audi don't have to worry about that. Um, and, uh, and this and they've just got some Game Boys out the back. <laughs> but I, I think for that reason, a wild card is highly unlikely to ever get up and win Bathurst. Oh, well, an interesting... Uh Interesting thought there because uh, we see so often um, the the cars being looked at and tuned and I'm wondering is if we will see a day when someone puts the wild card in just to be the hare that others will chase after and uh, hoping for that mechanical breakdown which will then see their regular car come through and of course... Uh, as I think might have happened in Porsche, the car didn't break down after 24 hours. They just ran it as hard as they could and got to the end. technology, computers, all those things means that racing cars now aren't like they were in the 60s, 70s or even 80s. So that, you know, you do have far greater reliability from everywhere in motorsport nowadays. So that, that sort of thing has gone away. There are also far less mistakes being made by mechanics because teams know the value of having guys who are not tired, who are fed properly and who have the right levels of whatever it is to run the race, you know, sort of thing. Um, so that everything orchestrated there to make the top teams there succeed. That car, the, the Xbox car, was crewed by guys who were also looking after the Triple Eight uh, development car. So they were having to double up through the, the weekends. I mean, it, it, at times it became fairly busy because Ludo and John Russell were having to double up on what they were doing. Um, but, the, you know, they're guys who are at the very top of their game who are stepping up. Now, you know, when you look at what Walkinshaws and ProDrive and, and even Brad Jones, I mean, they're all running three or four cars. And, you know, they've got so many staff on the ground to actually put up another car and, you know, it takes an enormous amount. As uh, everyone says, it's not just doubling up to put an, add another car, you know. Mm. All right. Well, moving on from there, the Homebush track, been a bit of talk about how it might be downsized to survive, or more particularly for the calendar to be able to be shortened. Stefan, what's your take on this whole debate? Yeah, well, at the moment, it's a case of IEDM, which is a engineering company that's uh, contracted by the supercars to look after these sorts of things. They're always needing to be across various changes, like especially with these street circuits that uh, 
the environment's changing all the time and they need to see what's happening and there's a lot of works or potential works in that area at the moment around ANZ Stadium, which is currently inside the um, racing precinct when it's built and um, the potential light rail going through that entire area and something like a light rail, if that if they decide to put that through any of the, the roads that are currently being used for the racing, then uh, it's a uh, goodbye to that straight because they probably couldn't uh, find a way to patch it over for the, for the race. So um, they're looking at it and they are going to prepare a, an alternative track, which, as reported on Speed Cafe, would turn left down Olympic Boulevard, potentially, where turn the turn two, three, four chicanes, you turn left there. Um, at the moment, Olympic Boulevard is paved rather than sealed, which obviously they can't race on. But um, as it's my understanding that uh, there's a potential for it to be uh, sealed as part of the work around ANZ Stadium. So there's certainly a lot of variables in play, but IEDM are on the case for the very reason. This is why about supercars contract them, so that they are aware of these things and they're putting together contingency plans if need be. Mm. Now, of course, IEDM were very successful, Tony, at shortening Gold Coast. Yes, indeed, and um, they didn't lose the character of the track. Um, They kept the major corners and the major straights, um, so therefore it was all there and it, it certainly helped. I mean, the old Cochrane line about, you know, have a shorter track and the cars come past more often. Uh, interesting when you look at Homebush, of course, that if it was to be a straight run down that straight, it wouldn't meet one of the prime criteria because it wouldn't give people much of a look because the cars would be swishing past them pretty quick. I mean, one of the big complaints, and this is talking with people who pay to go through the gate at Homebush, is there's just so few viewing points. And I know myself, and I've gone walk about there, it's, it's very difficult to get a decent view of the, the cars. Um, so... Uh, if uh, Homebush is to be shortened, well, you know, it, it, maybe not just a straight run down would be a good idea. Yeah, indeed. Uh, look, it's going to be interesting to see that Gold Coast event, Stefan. Uh, government's looking into its future at the moment, and there's, of course, with international races, and no race is going to be lost in Australia because of international races, but, geez. There could be a few races lost because, A, the track isn't safe, or, B, no-one wants to fund it. Yeah, yeah, that's obviously the uh, one of the major assets of the supercars, especially when you compare it to other domestic uh, motorsports, especially touring car championships around the world, is uh, the strength is really those uh, marquee street, street events. Um, and it's always a question, contract to contract, government to government, whether they will continue... And there is one more year on the Gold Coast Agreement, which is the same with Townsville as well, which are both obviously funded by the Queensland Government. Um, and we've had a change of government in January this year. So um, naturally, there's a question mark there, but there, there always is. It just cycle by cycle. Um, and, you know, the event's been going on the Gold Coast for 25 years. It's a very different form now to what it was before. But um, yeah, supercars are absolutely working as hard as they can to make sure that there's enough entertainment, various things, not just the, the motor racing, to uh, justify the, the cost. And certainly the minister at the launch of the event a couple of weeks ago was very particular with her language about the fact that it's a sponsorship of the event because the supercars promote the event. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were talking about they're going to sit down and talk about it by the end of this year and um, we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, hopefully it continues. And, Tony, that's the... That's quite possibly the biggest change since Fiat Supercars started to where they are now. When they started, they were getting paid an appearance fee to come up and and turn up, and no matter what happened on that weekend, their money was fixed. Now, they own and control these races, and so they've got the liability that comes with running a race meeting. And therefore... The money they get at the end of the weekend is not fixed. It has got a multitude of variables attached to it. Is it 10 or 14, isn't it, Stephen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's 9 or 10. Uh, one yeah. Of those. yeah, well, I mean, that certainly is. And you have to say that's where the company has changed. I mean, when I can remember when you know they just started the events business, uh, V8 Supercar Events, um, 
and it was Shane Howard's uh, baby, and, and gradually they took, took on more and more races, and, uh, you know, it's obviously grown and been successful. Um, and where the company itself changed the way in which it did earn its income. Um, and, of course, the teams had to come to grips with the fact it wasn't just, you know, racing in itself. It was the actual event that was making the money for them and putting them back out there on the, on the, uh, the road again. So, uh, yeah, they, they have had a, a major transformation over a 20-year period. Um, and, you know, it obviously is still evolving. And that's why the international races play such a key part, Stefan, because that is a we pay 100% to get you there for you to play and uh, to be part of this other um, sphere of motorsport, unlike when they're promoting it themselves. The risks attached here, they know going in, here are the dollars we're going to receive for doing this. Yeah, and that's certainly one thing that uh, means it, it makes sense for the teams that there is actually a appearance fee attached to that, which I'm not sure if everyone out there quite understands that it's uh, it's not the teams that are having to pay to put a stamp on their cars and post them over. It, it gets actually paid. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, the more of those, arguably, the better. And the criticality, Tony, is that normally what the deal is, they pay one way. They pay to get you there. Um, however, depending how the deal's structured, that's why you need the second race, because they pay the freight home. Well, the thing was, right from the start of this overseas expansion program, and I'm probably here talking about 05, when that first deal was struck, and that's when, the, you know, 05 was the very first time the cars flew in a plane. They'd always been on ships in the past. Um, so, we've, you know, we've reached that 10-year period sort of thing where that's occurred. And uh, right from then, there was a very strict stance from the FIA as to where V8 supercars could expand. They couldn't go further past, I think it was Turkey, I think, is that right, Stephen? Do you yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they could go, you know, as far as they wanted to, the other way, to all the way to America. But you cannot take, because it is still a national championship, you cannot take, have two races in the same country. So there was never going to be where the FIA would have granted a twinning, as it was very popularly known, the twinning of the Austin-Texas race. The only place it could have gone was in Canada. Or Mexico. Or Mexico, yeah. There was never a chance that there was going to be another race in North America, or, in, sorry, in the uh, United States. And, and it was only in those other two countries. And this is why there isn't a North and South Island of New Zealand race either. Yeah. Um, well, no, the, the, the reality is there's just not the money there to do it. Yeah, well, there's no money in the South Island to take, get yeah. a race there. And, and this, this rule isn't just being put on V8 supercars either. Formula One are not allowed to race two races in the same country. That's why the San yeah. Marino Grand Prix happened to be held in Italy just because, oh, well, we had to hold it there, but it was the San Marino Grand Prix. Yes. Likewise, you get two races in Spain or two races in Germany because one's the German Grand Prix and the other one is the European Grand Prix. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So this is, this is not unique. This isn't the FIA in France sitting there That's, making a yeah. rule to hamper V8 supercars. No, no, no. I, I, no, I was not wanting to construe it in that way. It's, it's the FIA, the way in which they do restrict the... the the, the racing that they will control the way they, they do. Mm. We've covered a lot of ground tonight, guys, but after the break, a final thought. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to uh, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought from Tony Whitlock. Ah, well, I actually saw on your list of topics Queensland Raceway. Yes. <laughs> and I'll raise that as an issue. <laughs> um, right from the very first time I went and had a look at Hampton Downs, I went, this is what they should have built, built at Ipswich. Why didn't they do this? 
when I hear about the leveling of the ground that was done uh, at uh, Queensland Raceway um, to make it a flat track with now just bumps adding character, I just think it's so sad that if they'd added some natural topography to it, it would have been fabulous. Mm, even just on the same layout too. Yeah, yeah. A rise between turns one and two, a dip between turns three and four would have been fantastic. Stefan? Um, I don't know if I should add a final thought. I think there's been enough thoughts and enough talking since we last went racing, so uh, why don't we just let the weekend do the talking Hidden Valley? Uh, well, very well said. That's why we have the 2014 Media Association Journalist of the Year. Can I just add a, a, a reminder that maybe you've forgotten or maybe you didn't even weren't conscious of there was one magic magic moment that happened at hidden valley in 2005 there were two cars that raced under the banner of the hsv team the good john kelly owned the team and uh, had sponsorship from mr crennan and that when they went to china they raced as buicks and i, Did they, I don't know, remember them both racing as buicks wasn't it just todd well, kelly's that, car Maybe it was just Ricks and not Garth as well. Maybe. I don't know. I, don't I thought remember. it was only Todd's. No, it was, it was no, Ricks. It was, when, they it was went Ricks. To, when they went to Bahrain, uh, Todd ran in Chevrolet colours, but that was okay. completely separate. Yeah. Okay. So this is China. This is, uh, might have been only the one car, but Rick qualified last on the grid. Kevin Whale was the man in charge of ex-marketing uh, director of Holden in Australia. He was in charge. He still might be in charge of, of Buick in uh, China. And um, I, I heard a, a rumour of some words that were said by Kevin Whale saying, don't ever bother bringing those cars back here again and expect to get any money from me. Mm. <laughs> and what happened, I believe, is that Walkinshaws walked the setup down the road to the Kellys and that was put into the cars because the next meeting after China was Hidden Valley. And lo and behold... The two HSV cars came first and second for the weekend. What a remarkable turnaround. Conspiracy theorists would be reveling in that information, Oh, time. well, it was just, it all happened as I just said. <laughs> it's a pleasure to catch up with you both. Tony, Stefan, enjoy what will be an interesting, revamped, relayed weekend up there at the Hidden Valley. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.